0: Welcome to the Women Shifting Gears Podcast, where we talk to some of the most dynamic, inspiring, and powerful women who are changing the narrative of what it means to be female in the automotive space. I'm your host, Amanda Busick. They say it might not be easy, but it will be worth it. To all the women out there sitting in the left seat, grab your road snacks. Let's go for a ride. There are some people whose voice it just seems smiles through a podcast and that is our next guest here on Women Shifting Gears. Deb Pollock is a publicist for boutique restoration house Singer Vehicle Design. She's both a convertible car gal and a Porsche loyalist. Over the past three decades, she's represented small car companies with big names including Mitsubishi, GM, Ferrari, and Maserati. A philanthropist at heart since 2008, she's teamed cars and camaraderie to support the challenges of Parkinson's disease most notably as the founder of Drive Toward a Cure. Without further ado, let's welcome in Deb. Our Women Shifting Gears podcast guest comes to us from Super Connector Cindy Sisson on this episode. And Deb Pollack, as I welcome you into the show, it seems like you and Cindy have some uh, common interests together, and that includes networking.
1: Yes, yeah, Cindy and I go back a ways, and uh, it's, it's for good reason, but I think she's got us all beat.
0: In <laughs> part of your bio, Cindy wrote that uh, you're an industry veteran that is well-liked by all those that you touch. When you hear those words, what does that sound like to you?
1: Oh, gosh, what a nice compliment, first of all. Um, you know, I've, I've been in this industry for a long time, and it's such a pleasure to think that we're, we're not really just professionals. We're a lot of friends. And I think that's what it comes down to.
0: When we go back to the beginning, a lot of our listeners, um, you know, we've connected this group of women across the automotive space. And it it, it seems like there's a theme that kind of connects us all together. But to kick things uh, off for your story, I want to go kind of back towards the beginning when you first entered into the car industry. And it uh, was right after college with a chance with Mitsubishi. Uh, Talk about that opportunity.
1: Oh, yeah, that was a long, long time ago. I was in my early 20s, and I was working for a international PR agency, and they threw me on the Mitsubishi Motors business, which they had just gotten And this. I mean, I'm going to really age myself, but this was the late 80s, and it was around the time that Mitsubishi was really doing well in the marketplace, and it was a great time to be with them. They were the fifth largest manufacturer on the Japanese side. And I knew nothing about cars at all. (laughs) And they sat me down at a desk and they threw automobile magazine at me. And I was like, you know, what am I going to do with this? And all of a sudden the back page opened and there was a Jean Jennings, who was then Jean Lindemood and her vile gossip column, which was the most intriguing part of the magazine for me. And every month from there, I'd open up the magazine from the back page first. And that's how I really got to know what was going on in the industry. um what a good place it could be for women, and how uh, how relationships matter. because everything that she wrote about had to do with an event she was at or an executive she had met, or you know, working with CEOs or even working with the people on the assembly line. And you just learned that it didn't matter what someone's um, professional level was, it was really where their interests and passions were, and what it all was about. And that to me was just a real eye opener. And I I enjoyed it so much.
0: What about the car business in the late 80s made you feel it was a good place for women? Um,
1: you know, I'm not sure that it necessarily did, you know, back in the 80s, I think it was a rather tough spot. We didn't have as many people in the C-suites as we do now. People like Mary Barra, um, you know, weren't quite at that level. And it was really an old boys network. In fact, I think I might have shared with you previously, um, you know, when I was at the beginning stages there working for the agency, a lot of the guys that were on the other side would go out on Fridays. And they would um, meet up with the guys from Road and Track and and the local journalists that were all there. And they would spend their Friday afternoons playing golf and going, socializing and having drinks. And I thought, you know, what's the deal here? How come women can't go to this? I'm a golfer. I'm in the car industry. I need to be a part of this. So I picked up the phone and I called some of the gals that worked at some of the other uh, car companies, including the Japanese ones, and said, we need to go out. We need to do some nine and one. And we went out on the links every Friday and we did our thing. And it was really great because a lot of those women that I met then, I'm still friends with today. And it's because we're all in this together. It's not a competition. It's not what brand do you work for. It's more about how can we help each other just do what
0: we need to do and get ahead and enjoy it along the way. I think universally there's an impatience that happens to us in our 20s. It's I almost relate it to that someone's drive or that someone's ambition. What challenges did you face in your 20s that you could pass on to those up-and-coming women in the car industry now?
1: I think, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that we all learn is that, you know, sometimes we start out and we make a lot of emotional decisions, and I think when we're younger, it's a lot easier to do that. And looking back, I find I, I I try to use my intellect a lot more than I use my mind. But I I think, you know, you kind of have to find the balance because it's important to have fun and it's important to enjoy what you're doing and carry that passion through. But you do need to find a little bit of seriousness to it so that you can keep what you're doing and succeed at it. So it's really finding that balance maybe.
0: As you look back through your childhood, is there any moment or n- memory that kind of led to uh, now you working in cars? Does it, Is there a circular moment that it all makes sense?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, I... I kind of joke that the main reason why I got into cars is because of my older brother. I I lived on the East Coast, and he was six and a half years older. And every Sunday, we would drive the long haul to my grandparents for for dinner. And, you know, you'd sit in that back seat together looking out, and he would quiz me on every single car that was on the road. And when I didn't know one, I got a little shot in the arm. And I sure didn't want to get that, so I learned every car there was. But from there... I really started enjoying cars, and and even as um, a little bit older child, um, my mom was not a driver at all, and and she didn't know a lot about cars. and And, and our neighbor, when I was real young, would drive us to the market and drive us wherever we needed to go. And I remember she had this wonderful Carmen Gia, and it was from the mid sixties. And, you know, it had that bench carpeting in the back and I would sit sideways Indian style so I can look out that little slanted window. And I would love it when we went in the rain because the car was so low and we'd go through those puddles and the water would splash up and all I would do is giggle. And my fondest memories are watching her shift that shifter wow. and that water coming up in my face. And, and that car still turns my heart. And, and my dad had a bug. Uh, he had a blue bug with cognac colored interior and one of those oversized sunroofs that you cranked and it too was stick shift and the funny story there was that he tried to teach my mom to drive stick and she just couldn't quite get it and on that on that old um, Volkswagen you know when you pushed down and you went into where first was you had to push down to get into reverse but it didn't have any numbers on this shift. So she didn't know where first was. She didn't know where reverse was. And my brother and I were upstairs in the house and all of a sudden we hear this crash and the house starts to shake and we're in New York. So there's no way it's an earthquake. And we run to the window and my mom had crashed into the garage door oh, no.
0: by putting it in
1: in first instead of reverse. And I thought, and, and she said to my dad, she got out and she slammed that door and she said, I never want to drive this thing again. And my brother and I kind of shook because we never heard my mom raise her voice. And my dad just stood there saying, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And all I can think of is I love that car. I want to learn how to drive it. I can't <laughs> wait to get in it. And that for me was probably, you know, the beginning phases of just loving cars because I really, really enjoyed them. And when we sold that car, I cried. I loved it so.
0: Did she drive again?
1: She drove again, but never a stick. (laughs) Never, ever, (laughs) ever.
0: How about for you? When uh, was getting a license a priority? You know,
1: it was uh, much different than it is for, for what was for my son and for a lot of the teenagers yeah. now. I mean, I, I think that Cindy and others that are my peers could agree that, you know, you practically slept at the DMV the night before your 16th birthday. I was because, there. I was yeah, there. Yeah. You, just, you had to have your license. Absolutely. And, and that was, that was key for me. But, you know, I, I learned to drive, you know, kind of before that, kind of not, um, you know, wait, my, wait. My, dad, <laughs> my, my my dad was a real stickler about not wanting to take me to drive until I had my license, until I had, you know, all the official paperwork and and the and the true stuff. And and I had a boyfriend in high school who was, uh, he was older than I was, and he was turning 18 when I was still 15 and a half. And, um, and he, and he got a brand new, I think it was a Camaro, um, which was a really cool car back then, oh, yeah. um, for his 18th birthday. And he said to me, well, when I turn 18, you know, I could, I could drive with you because in, you know, different than it is now, you didn't, you, you could be with your peers. You didn't have to be with someone much older when you had your permit. And he said, if you get your permit, you can drive. And,
0: uh, wow, that's and, a lot of trust right there. Yeah, I guess he liked me. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> but but after,
1: let me just tell you, after I this even first let my experience, experience drive my new car.
0: <laughs> after this first
1: experience, I don't think he liked me too much, because we went out and and I truthfully had not been driving, and I was just so excited to get in this car that had power steering and power brakes and was a muscle car. <laughs> And it was this beautiful chocolate brown color and and we start driving and the second I hit the brakes, you know, he practically went through the windshield and we came up by my house and they had just painted the curb. It had the white paint along the side where they were going to put the numbers. And I came up, of course, far too close oh, to park the car and those beautiful <laughs> white wall tires, <laughs> you know, got a, got a taste of that paint. And he didn't want to yell at me. I, but I could see the steam coming out of him. <laughs> and and I got out of the car and he got out of the car and he slammed that that passenger door and he ran around the other side and he wouldn't talk to me. And in those days, you know, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't even have message machines. <laughs> And I was dying. I went up to my room and I'm I'm just calling him off the hook. Call it, call it, call it to apologize. And when he finally, finally that night answered the phone, he said to me, Don't you dare tell me that you've never driven a car before because I don't want to hear it. <laughs> and I was just so sorry. And anyway, we finally reconnected and we're friends again.
0: <laughs> oh, good. Good. <laughs> what I think is so powerful, the memories that can be associated to a car. Um, I think you uh, have a funny story around how when you learned how to drive stick. Oh, gosh. Yeah,
1: that was also before I got my license. I was <laughs> I was driving a lot better then, though. I was, I was 15 and a half, and uh, it was my mom's 50th birthday, and they had a surprise party for her. And there's actually not one picture of me because my cousin, who had a brand-new Porsche, she had a Targa and a um, beautiful car. And she said to me, do you want to go out and learn how to drive stick? And I like raced to the door <laughs> and, and we went out and she was on the floor with her hands on my feet saying smooth, smooth. And, you know, with that clunky 1976 transmission, <laughs> it, was, it was a tough car to learn to st- drive stick on. But I fell in love with Porsche from that moment on. And uh, it was a great experience.
0: From high school on the East Coast, you ended up on the West Coast at CSUN North Northridge. Uh, the Matadors, believe it or not, I know that. Uh, <laughs> what made the decision to go West? Well, actually,
1: um, we, we, we came as a family uh, when, when I was in junior high school. We drove across country. My, um, my mom's family was all on the East Coast, and my dad's family was all on the West Coast. And after they were married 20-odd years, he said to my mom, it's time we go get to know my family a little bit better. And that was when we sold that wonderful Volkswagen Bug, <laughs> and my dad bought a horrible, horrible 1970s Chevelle puke oh, green four-door <laughs> that we drove across country. And and as a sidebar, uh, when I got my first car, that was it—that <laughs> puke green <laughs> Chevelle that I drove until I blew the engine. But um, so we came, we came to California. And um, I really wanted to go away to college, but I was actually the first one in my family to go to college. And my dad was just, you know, he he wanted his daughter around. He did not want me going away. And so I chose to go to Northridge because there were a lot of activities there. I could be in a sorority. I could do things and feel like I was away, even though I was very close to my family.
0: Talk about... um the importance of your family and especially your relationship with your mom, uh, the word possibilities is very important between the two of you. Yes, it was. Um, my mom, um,
1: she was a very, you know, soft-spoken, kind person who was, you know, just just sweet and caring. And she gave me a lot of um, good advice, good intentions. And one of the biggest things that she would always say to me is, imagine the possibilities. And and I think that's something that's really stuck with me my whole life because it, 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 it rings true in everything that I try to do with every vision that I hold and that I can hope for. And I, I hope that's something that others can do because when you think about things like that and you can dream big and you hope for the best, I think you can find it.
0: Well, when you imagine the possibilities from Mitsubishi to GM to Ferrari to Maserati and now Porsche, could you imagine <laughs> your resume would have held those names?
1: I'll tell you, in college, I was a, I was an art history minor and a graphic design major, and I would have never thought I'd be involved in cars. And, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy because on the flip side of what I do, um, which is I'm, I'm the founder of a nonprofit called Drive Toward a Cure, which blends cars and camaraderie. And it's all about Parkinson's. And all my life, I've, I guess I've been a little bit of a philanthropic soul. I've, I've always, you know, done from being a candy striper on up and when I was in college um, as a graphic design major and a photographer, um, I worked at a lot of fundraising events and, and, and tournaments because I was into sports. So I did tennis tournaments and I, I did the World Games for, uh, for the Deaf for UCLA and for a lot of other programs. And I never realized then when I was doing photography and helping in their press room that that could be part of a job that you could work for a PR agency and you could get involved. And so that was kind of the beginning of that. And then working with cars and blending cars together brought it all together. And now, you know, you mentioned my mom and my mom is really the main reason why I have my nonprofit because I lost my mom to Parkinson's in 2006 and 10 years later, uh, she would have been ninety. And I thought, if I don't start something now, I'm never going to do it. So in 2016, I started Drive Toward a Cure, which is really grown. And um, knock on wood, we've raised more than $500,000 through car enthusiasts and people in the industry over the last five years. And it's all about driving and camaraderie and and just doing things that can be good.
0: When you look at your website, you see the brands that are involved with Drive Toward a Cure. When you... Look at the impact that your friends have had on this nonprofit. What does that tell you about your relationship with them?
1: Oh god it it, it makes me so happy because it just really showcases how it t- number one it takes a village, you know, but but you know, you've got to have that vision and put it out there and and hope that people respect what your vision is and I'm really thankful because I do have a lot of friends out there and there are a lot of people that are willing to get involved and Tilt their hand toward participating and and being a part of it, and it's been a great for us. And you're right we we've got we've got some great sponsors on board. We've got Haggerty on board, Shell, uh, Maserati's done a lot for us. Um, you know, we can go down the list. It's it's just been great
0: on the professional side. In your current role, you're the publicist for Singer Vehicle Design with a customer that is so niched. How do you go about forming a branding strategy around that?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I've, I've been with Singers since nearly the beginning. I've been with them since 2009. And at that time, they really didn't have much of a brand focus. They had um, a desire and a vision. <laughs> to to go out and 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 create something and handcraft it and make it the best that it can be and I think for Singer it's a lot different than a corporate company and it's a lot different than even though we're becoming a little bit more corporate uh, now that we've got more than 100 employees and wow. we've got assembly in the UK and and the US and and we're we're in gosh over 30 countries um we've delivered cars and we've delivered more than 150 vehicles in uh In ten years, but I I think it's really because this this group of folks and and you know, got to hand it to Rob Dickinson, um, the founder. He he's an authentic guy, and and it's all about what comes from the heart and it comes from the passion that you put in. And the people that work there really want to be there because they want to create something special. And and our our whole mantra is that everything is important, and that comes down to the littlest details. You know, it's, it's the way you talk with your customers, it's what you showcase to them, and it's the way that you assemble a vehicle and you design one. I mean, I, I like to think that, you know, while everything is important, it's also the things that people don't notice that are equally as important. Wow. You know, the physical part on that car, for me, that someone might not notice, um, and I love to look at, of all things, is the hinge when you open up the hood or the back area where the engine is and you look at those hinges and they are nickel plated so beautifully and they've got these little circles in them that are milled just right and if you touch them and you feel how smooth they are and I mean come on who, who focuses on a hinge tell me there, there aren't people that think about these little nuts and bolts and things but we do. And that's something that you can be really proud of because when we explain it to people and I listen to all of those aspirational fans that come and see our cars on display and I hear them reading the articles that, that we've gotten in some prestigious outlets, I realize that it, it matters because it doesn't just matter for the customer. It matters to the people that are reading about it and are enthused by it. And they take note of every little aspect.
0: I know it's probably not, uh, you're, you're not supposed to call it a Singer 9-11, but nope. uh, when you hear that terminology, <laughs> uh, that has to be meaningful to you all.
1: It is. It is. I, I. I think the most meaningful part is is when you listen to someone and they say that they want to singerize a car. Oh. I mean, I mean, it's, it's kind of like now. Yeah. Yeah. We've we've become a a whole new part of the dictionary, and and that's exciting too because it's really something to be proud of, you know. Um, the first time I really realized it. I mean, I always knew it was special. I knew it was special from the first day I met Rob, and he said, come on down, let me, let me show you what we do, and I got it, and I thought, there's really something here, and I didn't, I didn't understand before I had seen it, and, um, and when I went five years later, we went to Goodwood five years ago for the first time, and we showed a Targa on the lawn. And it was our our first time to be there. And it was exciting for all of us. I mean, especially for Rob coming from the UK, it was kind of like, you know, homeboy makes good, you know, to show up at a place like that. But the most incredible part for me was kind of being a fly on the wall and listening again, to, to what people said when they came and looked at that car. Because, you know, coming from an agency side years before and growing up like that, you had a job. And your job was to make your client happy and to have strategies and objectives. And, and okay, this is what we're going to publicize. And once you get it in this outlet, then you're going to go to that outlet. And, and you're done after you see it's in print. Okay, I'm on to the next project. But for the people that I met here, I realized that it goes much, much further because when they said to me, and not to me, they said it to the people that they brought with them, uh, this is what I read in Octane. And did you know that I had this? And when I read this in Automobile and they started listing all these things, I realized it wasn't just our customers that we needed to make happy. It was all those fans that were really reading and capturing every single detail that we put out there and it was equally as important for them even if they could never afford the car it didn't matter and we were spreading joy and that was that was the key to all of it and that if if you ask me what makes me so proud of singer it's the fact that we can give so many people around the world so much joy just to see something and just to dream about something and that's what's exciting
0: when you talk about the fan base, you guys have almost a million followers on Instagram. Uh, when you think of, of that total of individuals that maybe just a small percentage of them could possibly be a customer, what messaging do you deliver to them?
1: Well, I think the key for us is, is twofold. Um, one is, is, is that it is that everything is important aspect. And and that we can show them that, but it's also the fact that we work so closely with our customers to make every single commission bespoke. And it's bespoke not to us, it's bespoke to the owner. The owner comes and 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 you know, it isn't even just about choosing a color. We have a whole department called special wishes. And that's really for a customer to come in and say, I don't want to be similar to somebody else. I really want this to be mine. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful part about that, in addition to it looking great and being that unique and much of a unicorn, is that these folks get out and drive these cars. They don't want to keep them in a, a garage of collectibles and they don't want it to just be something to be seen. They want it to be driven. And so when we say that we make it precise, when a customer comes in, you're gonna you're gonna fit that seat so that it's right. At the right spot for them and maybe that shifter knob is going to go a little bit higher a little bit lower in a place that's going to be positioned for their style of driving and when we sit down to talk to them about colors and things we want to know what their lifestyle is how is this going to fit in with you not how are you know how, how are we going to add to what you're doing and make it work for what you want to have.
0: I think yeah. the cool thing in expounding off of that, even scrolling through the social media for Singer, what I love is uh, it kind of goes back to the quote that you and your mom shared Imagine the possibilities. Like, I'm looking through the, you know, as a, will I be able to have a Singer vehicle design car at some point? Hopefully, but hey, I can imagine the possibilities. <laughs> I'll
1: tell you, in 11 years, I've probably driven them two, three times. You know, there's a lot of possibility
0: there. <laughs> So you guys just recently announced that um, there are owners in over 30 countries around the world. What sense of pride does that fill your company?
1: Huge, huge pride. Um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be part of our Global Partnership Network team. And in fact, today, we are just um, announcing the launch of our global partner in Japan. Wow. And we uh, recently announced Taiwan. And before that, we announced Germany and we've got many others on the horizon and we've been in hong kong for some time and it's amazing it's amazing because you know and, and a part of it is the power of, of social media i mean when you really think back i mean i mean 20 years ago if rob had started this company how much harder it would have been to get that message out there and to share with people and the internet opens up a world of possibilities
0: where do you feel you guys get your most most of the engagement you mean like Instagram? Oh, or, yeah, where do you? Yeah, where do you uh,
1: Instagram, for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, that's that's the biggest. I think that's the biggest for everybody.
0: Cindy Sisson said that uh, you're one of the industry's most iconic PR specialist. When She's making look-
1: me old. She's really <laughs> making me old. That's not good.
0: <laughs> when you hear the word networking, Uh, There can be a negative connotation to it. You call it relationship management. How does that change the tone of the conversation?
1: Oh, a million percent. I think that when you network with people, sometimes people are looking for a win. They're looking for a reason to meet someone. They want to get something out of it. I mean, for me, it's always been about the power of the relationship, and it's been about you know I've I, I joke because when uh when I was in college and I was in a sorority, which is so much like what the shifting gears is for me <laughs> with all these women involved. But um, I was friends with with the gals that were in so many different sororities. And, you know, just walking across campus, knowing a lot of people and, and being social and being out there. And I had a friend who used to tease me and she used to call me the ambassador of friendship. And when I started working in PR and I started working with Mitsubishi and I became friends with the people that worked at the other brands, she said to me, see, see, you're doing it again. (laughs) And, and, and the thing is, is that that's really why we're all in this business because we have the luxury when we go to Pebble Beach or Amelia Island or even just a concord down the street that it's that bond of cars that brings people together on an emotional level you could just run into someone that you've never met before and suddenly have a wonderful conversation that turns into a friendship and all because you have that commonality and and it is about relationship management because you know, when I was in my 20s I, and, and I worked for Mitsubishi, I, I would travel to Detroit quite often and and we would have dinners with, with the big big league people. I, I was with the COO from Mitsubishi and he was buddies with all the guys that sadly are no longer here. People like David E. Davis who started Automobile Magazine and Leon Mandel who started Auto Week and we would bring their staff with us when we went to dinner. And, and we would sit at a round table so that everyone could have a part of the conversation. And our COO was very adamant about that because he didn't care if you were at administrative level or if you were the CEO. That's you wonderful. needed to have a part of that conversation. And the conversation was never about business. It was always something from a question that arrived, like, you know, what was your first pet? What was your first car? What was your first this? And everybody started talking and everyone got to know each other. And the people that I met then are still my friends now. You know, so, and it's because we manage our relationships. We keep in touch with each other. You know, it's, it's so quick these days to send a quick email or to, you know, not use the phone and just send a text. But sometimes picking up that phone, especially during this time of COVID, means so much more. And it's about relationships.
0: Are you proud of what you've accomplished?
1: I am. I am. I I feel I feel really good about the industry I'm in. I'm I'm fortunate for the friendships that I've got. Um, I feel so much pride in in everything that I've worked on, you know, through through every single channel that I've been a part of. There's been something good that's come out of it, and through all of that, the friendships just keep on growing. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely proud of it.
0: We kicked off uh, Women Shifting Gears at the end of last year, and you've been a part of each of these monthly virtual summits that we've hosted. When you think of your own role in shifting the conversation forward for women, why is that important to you?
1: I think that women deserve more than they used to get a chance for. And I think that, you know, everybody has a place and it, it again it, it it doesn't matter what your level is i think that you just have to be passionate about something and you just have to want to try and be a part of it and the beautiful part about shifting gears is you know i'll, I'll embarrass Cindy Sisson for a moment <laughs> because you know her her leadership in this has been a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I don't remember if it was two years ago, three years ago, we were together in Arizona and she invited me to come to a dinner that had eight or 10 women uh, that were that were part of it. And none of us really knew each other very well. Lynn St. James was there and Diane Fitzgerald was there. And um, there were a lot of people from tech force, from, from all different aspects of the car industry, but we hadn't really merged yet. And we sat around that round table at dinner and had a few drinks and had a great meal. And Cindy kicked off a question. And suddenly, we were all best of buddies. And that was what began this she-sharing concept of really bringing women together. And, and there is so much more we can do. And we're just so capable. And, and it's funny because I remember when, when I worked for Maserati, we did a program where we teamed up with Lufthansa. And we brought 35 of their highest end customers out to Arizona. And we stayed at a Ritz-Carlton, which we also teamed with. And we took these customers to um, a half day of performance driving in Maserati's out at the track and a half day at Lufthansa's flight training facility. Wow. And we got to go. And that's their actual flight training facility where they take everyone from around the world that works for them, has to bunk there, stay there. And, and, and learn how to use their simulators. And I had never you know thought about flying a plane before. And I had never gotten into a, a true simulator. And you had your own instructor. And you got in. And you had a choice of 5,000 airports and night, day, snow, rain, weather, whatever you wanted. And, and you got out for an hour. And, and you had an instructor right there teaching you. And this thing moves. I mean, it's like an IMAX theater, practically. It's pretty cool. And I remember I happened to have a woman that was the instructor and she said to me how great she thought I was doing and and I was laughing with her. And she said, well, you know, why don't you? And I said, why? She said, because you're a woman. And I said, what do you mean? She said, women multitask. We can look at this screen that has all these dials and all these things that are constantly moving and changing and we know what's going on. But the men have to concentrate in a different way and their mind works differently. And I think that's true in the way they network. I think it's true in the way they relate to people on a business sense. And I think we have so much more to give and so much more life ahead of us to share of all of this good potential and possibilities that every woman that is part of shifting gears can take that on. And, and, And we can share it with each other.
0: Well, Deb, when you look over your professional accomplishments and everything that that you've um, successfully achieved at this point, are you done?
1: Heck, no. <laughs> there is so much more ahead. There's so much more to be excited about, and you know, and and I'll tell you, even with my foundation, there's so much more growth ahead. We've been really fortunate because we started out doing these uh, multi-day luxury rallies to raise money, and from that we've branched out to do getaway weekends. And now we've got, we've got car clubs and organizations and racetracks and all kinds of things around the country that are stepping up and are part and doing one-day programs on our behalf. So, you know, I want to go global. Are you kidding me? Hey, take me <laughs> I want, with to you want to keep to go. going. <laughs> There's many beautiful roads to travel.
0: Hey, this podcast equipment, it, it travels easily. <laughs> Anytime. Anytime. Well, thanks for joining us on Women Shifting Gears, Deb. Now it's time. uh, Now you and I are going to sit at a round table for the hot lap. Oh, shoot. Uh, (laughs) Questions to you. So we'll uh, start right here. What's a car you aspire to drive? I'd like another Porsche, a newer one than what I've got. (laughs) A
1: certain model? Uh, Only a 911. Definitely a 911. Okay, only a Singer 911. That could work. What's on the radio? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I'm, I'm old school. I don't, I don't listen to uh, any of the uh, stuff my son listens to. And I like, I like the oldies. So you can take me back to the 70s and the 80s and I'm just fine.
0: All right. So some eagles are on in that
1: 9-11? Eagles work just fine. <laughs> A lot of Springsteen.
0: <laughs> so you're driving in the left seat of that 9-11 who's sitting in the passenger
1: Passenger seat, I'll tell you. Okay, I'm going to tell you who my favorite woman alive is. The favorite woman alive is Diane Keaton, but the one that came before her was Catherine Hepburn. Wow. And the reason why I love the two of them is because they don't take no fuss. You know, they say what they think, they stand up for it, they dress great, and they put on a scarf and have a field day. So I'm thinking about that convertible Porsche 911 going down the coast with them, throwing that scarf on, and just keeping on that drive. What's been your
0: favorite road trip?
1: Favorite road trip was um, 36 hours in San Moritz. I was uh, doing a singer program with Classic Driver, and we brought two owners with us. And we went through the Stelvio Pass, and we were in the middle of summer up in the mountains with the snow. And it was heaven, just heaven.
0: Knowing what you know now, what would you tell Deb Pollack at 20 years old?
1: There's so much more ahead. Don't give up. Imagine the possibilities.
0: I don't have to say anything else. I think we end it right there, Deb. Imagine <laughs> the possibilities.
1: We're good. We're good
0: to go. Thank you so much, Amanda. It's been a pleasure. The Women's Shifting Gears podcast is produced by GS Events, a female-owned collective with the mission to amplify women's voices across the automotive culture. Follow along on our journey on Instagram and Twitter at the handle Women Shifting Gears or on the web at gsevents.live.